Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. Over the last several weeks, I have taken the opportunity to share our concerns about the continuing impact of the pandemic, our views on why bonds still make sense in your portfolio, and a summary of what happened in the third quarter and what might come next. We have also shared our views on what may happen after the election. Today, I want to focus on a topic that has been somewhat passed over, that of a major infrastructure package. Of course, your comment might be, isn't an infrastructure package a done deal post-election? It's true that there has been much discussion around how both former Vice President Biden and President Trump would likely pursue an attempt to pass a large-scale infrastructure spending package after the election. It's important to recall, however, that President Trump campaigned on infrastructure in the 2016 election as well with an emphasis on improving roads, ports, bridges, and airports to aid in the revitalization of the American manufacturing economy. Once in office, however, the attention shifted to the Affordable Care Act and the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, and after the 2018 elections, it was clear that a bipartisan plan on which the president could build momentum for his re-election campaign was unlikely to happen. The House of Representatives, for their part, put forth infrastructure legislation this summer, but with a $1.5 billion price tag in the midst of a pandemic, it was less about getting a deal done and more about putting forth a platform that would incorporate some of the issues Democrats believe are most pressing for the U.S., including combating the underlying causes of climate change. The Democrat-sponsored bill had no support whatsoever on the other side of the aisle, but the bill was more comprehensive than anything that has been seriously considered by the Senate over the last four years. With that as the backdrop, what can we expect next? Well, it depends on how you classify infrastructure. Going back to the New Deal, infrastructure spending was focused on roads, bridges, and airports as well as the expansion of power grids to rural America. Not only did this legislation create the foundation for decades of manufacturing dominance here in the U.S., but it put people back to work, many in skilled jobs that would allow for the growth of the middle class through the next several decades. Now, infrastructure is a much broader term, with national security implications and usually a very hefty price tag. Historically, improvements for roads and bridges were often paid for using tolls, but the sheer volume of roads and bridges that need improvements can no longer be supported by tolls alone. Public transit, too, and especially in places where it is needed the most, is often under-supported by fares, and with old equipment and old roads and tracks to operate on, the need for upgrades is evident for riders and politicians alike. Taxes on airfare are designed to help support airport upgrades, but with the massive increase in air traffic over the last 10 years post-financial crisis and pre-pandemic, many airports, especially major hubs, are racing to catch up to carrier needs. Add to the list energy infrastructure to allow for movement of fossil fuels, 
as well as telecommunications investments, and you've got a laundry list of things that need fixing. So how will these projects get funded? A sticking point in the current stimulus negotiations is the topic of state and local aid for areas hardest hit by the coronavirus. With falling tax revenues, the weight of infrastructure improvement cannot be borne entirely by local authorities. Public-private partnerships have been touted as a good solution to this problem, but as is the case with anything in the for-profit world, there's a catch. These types of arrangements demand some sort of financial compensation, and that compensation is often indexed to inflation and payable during both good and bad economic periods. So we're back to the drawing board. It seems like the federal government is going to need to step in here, and we are pretty confident that will occur. But if that's the case, how will the election impact what an infrastructure bill might look like? As I mentioned earlier, the Democrats and Republicans have different ideas on what the priorities should be, so I'll spend a few minutes outlining those differences. First and foremost, there is the overarching debate over the use of fossil fuels. This is manifested in Republican support for pipelines and other projects that facilitate transportation of oil and gas throughout North America but it can also be seen in the GOP's emphasis on the improvement of roads and bridges to facilitate auto and truck traffic. They are also keen on airport projects and port improvements, although perhaps less so the latter following the current tensions with China. The Republicans are also focused on what they deem to be areas of national security, which include the drive to be energy independent, as well as control over the nation's telecommunications network, particularly the build-out of 5G. Democrats, on the other hand, are very focused on marrying social considerations with necessary improvements. While roads and bridges are certainly on the docket, the more progressive stance of the Democrats has created a wider set of priorities. Creating incentives to travel in a more sustainable way through the implementation of electric charging networks and high-speed trains, along with the expansion of public transit, is a start. In addition, to counteract the inequality that prevails between wealthier urban centers and poorer rural communities, the Democrats want to see better healthcare facilities built in these areas. In addition, the continued pressure on housing prices after a long lull in building following the great financial crisis points to an expansion of affordable housing, which at best is accomplished city by city, town by town in the current environment. Both parties are likely to support the expansion of telecommunications, which is critical for both businesses and families who look to create opportunities to live and work outside of urban centers a trend quickly accelerating as we deal with the pandemic. In addition, safe, efficient ports connected by rail remain critical to avoid some of the supply chain dislocations which have occurred over the last several months. All of this sounds great, right? A lot of emphasis has been put on the need for a transformative stimulus package in 2021 in order to reaccelerate growth in the U.S. economy. While consumer behavior is likely to continue to normalize, 
it could be some time, given the changes in the labor force, for spending levels to return to those of late 2019. Equity investors seem to be buying into the idea that infrastructure is on the horizon. Materials and industrials companies in particular have been getting the most attention, but depending on the party in charge, there could be significant opportunity across a number of sectors and industries, many of which have likely underperformed in this most recent period of growth outperformance. A word of caution, however, the legislative agenda can change quickly, and just as we saw in 2016, a tactical shift could leave infrastructure on the sidelines once again, even as most Americans are supportive of such a bill. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the market, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and of course, the election by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you once again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions, and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.